you step out of Revelation and focus on Advent, we live and dwell within two Advents, or two arrivals, two comings, two appearances. Christ's first Advent, which we will be celebrating in just a few weeks, and his second Advent, his second appearance, his second coming. So it's not like I'm stepping too far out of Revelation. I'm just looking at the first one to remind us of the promises of the second one. Matthew chapter 2, the hope of grace in the world. We'll be reading 11 verses, beginning at verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. So it is written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from, when, what time, from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that, had seen, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. And then they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Our Father in heaven, we pray this morning as we look together into your word that we may be more than just informed but corrected. May we also be challenged by your word and its truth that we not, may not be too emotionally driven during this time but that we may realize why this this passage is in the Bible. What is it here to tell us? What is it here to teach us? Encourage us, instruct us, Lord, by your light and by your spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Some of you may be familiar with Dr. Jason Lyle. He is one of the well-known apologeticists. Did I say that right? In America who... He focuses on creation itself and giving a defense for God's hand in creation. And it's very fascinating. Look him up. You would learn a lot from his lectures. 
But this past week, I read an article about these wise men that he had posted, and I'm going to borrow from his, the premise of my message this morning, I'm going to borrow, I'll give him full credit, I'm going to borrow from it because it makes a lot of sense. Now, what he wrote in his article is not something new. In fact, I remember hearing much of the same thing nearly 40 years ago when I discovered John MacArthur. Some of the first messages I heard him preach were on Christmas. And some of the very things he said then, Jason Lyle reiterated in his article. I don't think Jason Lyle was plagiarizing at all because you, I was reminded recently by another pastor told me that you cannot copyright truth. No one has a license to restrict it from anyone else. So we want to look at who were these wise men? How many were there? And if they were being led by a star, then why did they have to stop in Jerusalem? And what about the star? Was it a conjunction of planets, a comet, a supernova, a moon, or an angel, or something else? We hope to get through all of these things throughout this lesson, so pay close attention. No snoozing today. Our hearts are warmed every Christmas by the traditional myth. That's right, I said myth. I believe all of these things happened, but the myth that we subscribe to and seem to practice is incorrect. For example, wise men at the manger. Every Christmas you see them, you can see them in their homes, you can see them in churchyards, church lawns, church buildings. We have one. Protestants call it a manger scene, the Catholics will call it a creche. Creche is Latin for crib. It's a depiction of the manger scene, the birthplace of Christ. And there's always little models of the wise men at the manger scene. But when we look at scripture, they did not appear at the manger. I hope you're not offended. But it should kind of break apart this idea that we follow more of a myth and where hearts are usually warmed and encouraged and because we tie so many of our earthly memories to those scenes in our minds and we, we want to break away from that just a little bit. Why is this story significant? Why is it important to the gospel? It's not just some sentimental representation of some stranger who came to welcome a newborn king. There is something here that is significant to the story of the gospel. And here's the premise. Perhaps the main point of Matthew chapter 2 is that God's chosen people who should have been anticipating his coming were largely oblivious, largely unaware, unmindful, unconscious, ignorant to the sign of his coming. So God allowed people from a pagan nation to be blessed with the opportunity to see the creator of the universe 
enter his creation. Is it possible that many Christians today miss out on God's blessing because we too fail to seek the Lord? There's three points I'd like to discuss, and we'll open this up as we go through these. Do not be preoccupied with the wise men tradition. I mean, they're important, but we spend too much time there. There's more here to see. Number two, do not be technical about the divine light or the divine star. We'll talk about that a little bit, too. And third, realize the details that the de- that details of this story offers hope to the world. Jason Lyle says this Christmas story in Matthew 2 is really an indictment against the nation of Israel at the time of Christ's birth. They should have known. The majority of Jews were not anticipating Christ's coming. They were not seeking him and they did not notice the sign of his coming. They should have known. From We can trace all the way back to Genesis 3.15 and all the way through scripture and the history of Israel time and time again where Christ has been promised and foretold and predicted and prophesied. You remember that God chose Abraham in order that, this, that his family would become the lineage for the Redeemer. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There's the promise of the Redeemer. He also revealed himself to Jacob. You remember the story, the account of Jacob's ladder. He saw this vision of a glorious ladder all the way up into heaven. At the top of the ladder was the Lord himself. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land of which you, are, you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and to the north and to the south, And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, promise of a redeemer. It may have been a little veiled. It may have been a little bit mysterious. But we can go through again and again and again throughout scripture where it becomes more specific. Isaiah 53 is powerful. And even today, The Jews neglect to study that book, that chapter. Israel should have known. So do not be preoccupied by the status of the wise men. Matthew 2, 1 and 2. After Jesus was born, now notice, after Jesus was born, did it say when he was born? After he was born, In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They didn't come to the manger. 
I wonder how so many people miss this. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So who were these wise men? The word magi we literally get from the Greek. That's what it means, wise. The magi were scholars of their day. They were advisors to king. They were counselors to kings, particularly in the land of Persia. They had a substantial library and access to many ancient documents, so it is reasonable to suppose that they had access to Hebrew writings, including most of the Old Testament. If you remember, the Jews had been taken captive by Babylon centuries earlier. Pay close attention here. In fact, the prophet Daniel was appointed chief of the magicians. You look at Daniel 5, 11 and 12. Daniel 5 is the account where Belshazzar, king of Babylon, saw the handwriting on the wall because he was so corrupt and perverted and wicked. He saw this writing and wanted someone to interpret it. And there is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, whom is the spirit of the holy God, and in the days of your father, light and understanding wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Daniel was put in charge of the Magi in Babylon and their descendants read the scriptures, studied the scriptures, saw the signs and went to greet the Lord Jesus at his, soon after his birth. This is the interesting part. We've been studying Revelation and looking at the threat that Babylon has against us, but here in this story, because the people of God missed it, God is sending Babylonians to greet the Savior. You've got to know that God is graceful, gracious, and God is merciful, even to sinners. That's one point of the gospel that we miss in this story, usually. These magi would have been familiar with Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So these were astrologers, magicians, wise men, counselors to king from ancient Persia, who had taken the documents and the teachings that perhaps you've got to understand. You don't expect Daniel, as strong a man of faith as he was, to be placed in charge of these men, these scholars, and he's not going to tell them anything about his faith and the scriptures that he had. He's going to be handing out tracts every single day. So the seeds are planted 500 years earlier were bearing fruit Fulfillment. How many were there? 
we usually think they're assume we assume there were three because there were three gifts they brought. Many Christian cards portray only three. There were probably several. We don't know how many visited Christ, but it seems likely that there were several more than just three. The Magi were important enough to have their own personal security team or bodyguard or perhaps even as much as a small squad or army. So their journey from the east was probably an impressive caravan and they likely traveled on horseback and not on camels because Persians were known as great horsemen. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and came to worship him. When Herod heard this, pay close attention here, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired, of them where the Christ was to be born. Now let's pause just a moment and think about this. What's more reasonable to, in, to draw out of this story, this account? Three strange and humble foreigners entering Jerusalem on camels. This is something they probably saw every day. They just come in, they're dusty from their travels, they're by themselves, just three of them. Not really anything very significant about it. Why should Herod give them any kind of an audience? Now, compare this. Here's a well-equipped caravan coming into Jerusalem with a complement of armed security guards and several well-dressed, expensively dressed wise men. They identify them with themselves with an impressive presence. The temple guards in Jerusalem and also the Roman soldiers would have noticed. Here's some armed guards coming in here and they're protecting several men. What is this about? Are they a threat? Are they messengers from Persia? Why are they in Jerusalem? They would come in and they would be noticed. That's how all Jerusalem knew they were there. That's why... Herod probably allowed them into his court. He wanted to find out what's going on. Is this another foreign threat? Are they come here to make a treaty? What is going on? This also begs the question. If they were being guided by a star, why did they have to ask Herod anything? A little bit of speculation here. I think we're allowed to do this. The Lord could have providentially sent clouds over Jerusalem. Approaching Jerusalem, certainly the Magi would have assumed Herod would know. We can't see the star, brothers. What do we do? Well, there's Jerusalem. Let's go ask the king. He should know. But he didn't. God providentially allowed this to happen to emphasize the, pact, the fact Israel was ignorant. They were blind to the birth of their Savior. 
it should have been a convicting indictment against Israel. It should have woken them up. The main point of chapter, Matthew chapter 2, that God's chosen people who should have been anticipating the coming were largely oblivious to the sign of his coming. The majority of Jews were not anticipating Christ's coming. They were not seeking him, and they did not notice the sign of his coming. So do not be preoccupied with the status of the wise men. The story is true. It is very dramatic, probably more dramatic than what we usually assume it to be. It is a very wonderful story, but the story is not about them. The story is about the Lord. Next, do not be technical about the divine light or the star. Verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it, came, when it rose and have come to worship him. Other translations say when it rose in the east. The word in the Greek is literally ente anato, yeah, ente anatole. It doesn't say in the east. It says at its rising. That's what ente anatole means. So our English translations, who's ESV has it correct here. For we have we saw his star when it rose, and have come. To worship him. The English translations who say in the east. It, they kind of use that as a euphemism for at its rising. We usually assume things rise in the east and it's said in the west. Hence the English translation. But it's more accurate to say at its rising. Remember the word from Numbers. The prophecy from Numbers said it would rise over Israel. And these scholars, these astrologers who studied the heavens, as part of their job description, they saw something unusual. And they, from Persia, they probably saw it in the west, which got their attention even more. Quoting Dr. Lyle once more, the Christmas star may not have been a natural object, what if the Christmas star rose in the west from the perspective of Persia? This would have been, this would have to be the case if it literally rose over Israel. And it would be literal, it would be a literal fulfillment of Balaam's prophecy. From Persia, Bethlehem is almost due west. And so a star rising from Israel would rise in the west, the opposite of every natural star which sets in the west. The biblical text literally states that the wise men saw the star at its rising and in the light of Numbers 24, 17, this was quite possibly the western sky over Israel as scholars, the Magi, would have immediately recognized this as a non-natural phenomenon and possibly the sign of the Messiah. There are a lot of people, even today, who get excited about what they find in the heavens. Some of you may remember last, last August, a man by the name of Hideo Nishimura discovered a new comet 
And they named it after him because he's the one that saw it. He was using telescopes that could barely see it in a distance. Well, he said, sometimes in September you should be able to see it. And I never bothered to look for it. But they really got excited about it. It was on the news. You may remember it. But here these scholars from ancient Persia looking in the sky saw something un unusual and it was to the west and not to the east. When they asked, when they asked Herod, he did not know. And Herod asked all the chief priests and scribes of the people. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, so it is written by the prophet, prophet Micah. You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And scripture says, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly. Now they've come in kind of publicly. They've made, everyone knows they're there, but he's being a little stealthy now. He knows what he needs to do, and so he's trying to keep it under his hat. The wise men, he summoned the wise men and secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Herod was a wicked king. He was already, he had already killed several of his family members who were, who had threatened his throne. He had no intention of allowing anyone to usurp his crown. This Christmas story in Matthew 2 is an indictment against the nation of Israel at the time of Christ's birth. And as, as we saw in Revelation chapter 12, the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. That dragon is represented in Herod himself because you know what he did when he found out that they never returned to tell him. He just went, everyone two years old and younger, all the male children, go and slaughter them. He didn't want to take a chance. After listening to the king, verse 9, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until they came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the star had led them from Persia. They had spent some time to prepare, to plan, pack, travel, Once they got near Jerusalem, 
The Lord sent clouds. They couldn't see the star. Let's go ask the king. Certainly he would know. But he didn't. The king sends them on their way, and there's the star again, and they rejoice exceedingly glad. So God had to providentially put them in Jerusalem, indicating to the people that something wonderful was about to happen. You'd better pay attention. Verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Did you catch that? And going into the house, not into the stable, not into a manger. Apparently, they had been there long enough to find a place to stay, perhaps a place to rent, if they had rent back then. It was a house. He could have been as much as 18 to two years old, 18 months to two years old. What was the nature of this star? From the biblical text, we infer that the Christmas star first was seen and understood by the Magi, but no others. Second, the Magi saw the star when it was first rose on at least two occasions, coming out of Persia and then coming out of King's court. The star moved, or at least appeared to move, going ahead of the Magi. It led them, Scripture says. The star stood over or remained stationary over the location of Christ, apparently guiding the Magi to the correct house. This means that the object must have received, excuse me, must have revolved along with Earth's rotation so that so as to remain directly above Bethlehem. Almost as if this star had a mind of its own. The Magi re- recognized this star as signifying the Messiah's birth. They referred to it as his star, Matthew 2.2. 2. Given this information, what celestial phenomenon can account for this remarkable, remarkable, remarkable event? Some people have said, the last few years I've seen a lot of studies, a couple of DVDs, People, oh, we can figure this out. We've got the technology. We can extrapolate our calendars, our solar, our uh, celestial calendars, and we can go back and, and know where all the stars were at on or about that time over Jerusalem. But when you look at what this star did, his star did, it cannot be explained by a comet. It cannot be explained by a supernova. It cannot be explained by a conjunction of planets. Because all of these things move. And they come and they go. And they come and go more quickly than a span of two years.
I believe, I'm convinced, and I hate dropping names, John MacArthur would agree with me. This divine appearance was of the Holy Spirit or Shekinah glory. As he guided and protected Israel through the wilderness, he appeared before the Lord himself, revealing the place of his, his house. So it's more than a star. It was something divine and spiritually powerful, the presence of the Lord himself. Here is my son. So do not be preoccupied by the status of the wise men. Do not be technical about the divine light. Realize that the details of this story, our third point, realize the details of this story offers hope to the world. As we mentioned earlier, this is an indictment against Israel because they were clueless. They didn't know. What about us? What about the modern Christian? This Christmas holiday is very often the favorite time for many people. Family memories, wonderful warm homes, the celebration of bounty. I'm not saying this just to make you feel bad. The Lord has blessed all of us, most of us, very abundantly. And it's okay to be grateful for that. I'm not saying let's not, in, let's not let it distract us. And don't be distracted by the myths of Christmas. I think it's a little more wonderful to look at what really happened and imagine that correctly as you work through this because you see all kinds of things that are revealed to us in Scripture. Remember why all of this happened. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. Glory is of only the, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Remember why this happened. Romans 5, 8 through 10, God shows his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Remember why he came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do not be preoccupied by the status of the wise men. Do not be too technical about the divine light. I don't think it was an actual star. I don't think it was a comet. I don't think it was a planet. I don't really think it was a spiritual presence of the Holy Spirit himself shining the glory of God upon the sun.
we need to remember what scripture teaches us uphold me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope hold me up and I shall be safe and I shall observe your statutes continually so do we hope in the Lord do we trust in his salvation realize that the details of this story that are very often obscured will offer us hope and we can share that with the world let us pray Lord Jesus thank you for this time together and for your word and its truth and we pray that as we think on these things that they may help us be faithful to you in Christ's name amen as we continue to